Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Steve Oren is an experienced chief technology officer and entrepreneur concentrating on security and security-related topics and technologies, as well as federal and enterprise business challenges. Steve has founded two startups and brought them through productization and customer delivery and has taken a developmental stage security company through acquisition. He is a regular speaker on security, privacy, data science and applications, and technology innovation topics with specialties in areas such as cybersecurity, virtualization security, and steganography. I just added steganography because I saw that and I have no idea what it is, so I'm anxious to hear what each of those are. And so we're thrilled to have Steve on our podcast today. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you doing, Ed? I am doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think folks would love to hear a little bit more about what you do and how you currently interact in the marketplace. Sure. So my current role, I am the federal CTO for Intel Corporation, working in the Intel Federal Division. And my job is really to be the representative as far as our technologies and our capabilities for the federal government. Um, so we, I represent all that Intel does from technologies that go into an IoT to the cloud and everything in between and help the federal government adopt those technologies and deploy those technologies at scale. My background, as you mentioned, is in cybersecurity. And so that is a topic that is often important to both, not only the federal government, but really to all enterprises these days of how do they secure their systems? How do they get ahead of the next threat? and helping them to understand the, not just the technologies that Intel brings to bear, but really the whole ecosystem. Um, And really being able to drive those technologies throughout all their different mission and application areas, whether they're trying to solve problems with AI or do something in the cloud, they need to be able to understand the foundational technologies that enable them. And that's really what the federal CTO's job is, is to be that advisor and that evangelist. Well, we are recording this in mid-June of 2021, and the key word of the week is ransomware, right? So, you know, not that I want to digress our conversation, but are you involved at all that you can talk about? Or, uh, you know, what what's the experience with Intel or you with this concept of ransomware where people hijack technology from a, uh, a company's uh, hardware and hold it for ransom? 
So ransomware presents a really unique challenge, and, and we are helping both industry and, and government understand what they need to do to get ahead of this, this new challenge. Or really, it's been a challenge for some time that's really starting to, to grow. Uh, number one, you want to be able to detect it fast and early before it gets pervasive within your organization. So when it first gets in, be able to detect it quick and shut it down. But at the same time, you also have to recognize you have to be resilient. And to do that, you need to be protecting your data and keeping it secure so that the if a ransomware gets in, it can't take you down. It can't leave you with no access to your data. And that would that be secure backup, uh, secure storage capabilities, and authentication to prevent different systems from accessing each other unless they're allowed to. I think one of the challenges we've seen that ransom really, ransomware really highlights is that once something gets inside the organization, it's soft. The, all the hard security is really on the exterior, on the shell. And once it gets inside it, every system has access to everything else. The, the buzzword de jure in, in a lot of spaces is something called zero trust. Um, and really at the core of what that is, is not trusting things just because they happen to be inside. And so what, if you get a ransomware attack, you want your network and your systems not to be just an open door for everything that's already on the inside. I think that's one of the approaches that we're seeing companies start to take seriously is how do you harden the inside? And so to go from the analogy of a, of a raw egg today to a hardboard egg tomorrow. Well, I'm just wondering if I were the CEO of an organization, I would think that this is in one of my top three agendas for 2021, 2022, which is how do we ensure that the information that we hold, which some of which we don't own, but we hold it is secure. So I'm just curious, can somebody, you know, with 98, 99% uh, confidence ensure that the data that they have is secure? So I think that's been one of the challenges of cybersecurity for a long time is there's no such thing as 100% secure. Um, the approach that we that often we need to take is what's called a risk-based approach. And what that really means is applying, deploying the right security for your risk area. And I think one of the things we've seen where this has failed often is that they don't properly understand the risk in their organization, whether it be to something like mount, ransomware or to some other st style of attack like we saw uh, in the supply chain attacks. Not being able to properly evaluate the risk means you're not using the right controls. And so I think one of the things on every CIO and CEO's mind right now is what is the right risk profile for our organization and are we deploying the right security to meet that risk? And what we saw with the Colonial Pipeline and other attacks is that they hadn't done the right risk uh, analysis to have the right controls. I think one of the things that was really eye-opening recently was the JBS ransomware attack. That was the meatpacking industry. Because I think it highlighted something that a lot of people sort of had relied on is saying, well, that's I'm not a regulated industry or I'm not the government. I'm not going to be a target. You know, we're meatpackers or we build you know, tractors. We're not interesting. I think it became very clear with that ransomware attack that shut down the meatpacking uh, facilities is that everyone is a target equally. And so you can no longer get away with saying, well, we're not the most important data. And it also showed that we are all reliant on technology because that the ransomware just didn't take out their email or their databases. It meant they had to shut down production. And so that just shows how reliant even the meatpacking industry is on technology to deliver that service and how the pipeline was reliant on technology to deliver uh, the, the gas to, to, the, to the environment. We are become so reliant on technology, which means the risk profile has to match that. And I think that's the learning that CIOs and CEOs, and we're seeing the, the regulations and the efforts in the government really try to address how do we raise the risk awareness and then make and deploy the right controls to meet that. So it's going to be yeah. exciting times right now. 
Well, the ransomware attackers certainly knew that in the United States of America, you do not get in between people and their beef because we love meat products. So, uh, but I would imagine, and we'll talk about bravery in a second, but I would imagine that is one of the obstacles that we experience is like other things in life, people saying that won't happen to us or we're not that interesting or that's their problem, right? And they think they're uh, you know, excluded from these types of actions. But yet, of course, we know that if there is money involved and the likelihood of a ransomware attack, that they are not uh, excluded. So let's move on. Uh, and I do have one other question, which is what is steganography? Sure. So uh, steganography is actually a relatively old science. It's, uh, but its definition is the art and science of hiding the existence of information. And so if you compare that to, say, cryptography, which is the science of encoding information, which is what most of our technologies today, whether it be going secure to talk to Amazon or to, to uh, on the web or encrypting your email, that's cryptography. Steganography is a, a secondary science, which is hiding the very existence that you have information. Uh, so it's sometimes referred to as covert channels. And it was an interesting area of research early in my career looking at different ways to implement that technology alongside confidentiality. Um, so when we communicate securely, it's secure, the data is confidential, but anyone watching knows that we're, in, we're communicating securely. And that means that, hey, there must be something interesting there. And so where, the, where steganography comes into play is hiding that we are actually communicating. Where that's important, I'll give a great example, is imagine M&A. If a large company starts sending encrypted traffic to a small company out of the blue, anyone who's watching that traffic say, hey, there may be an acquisition company. I should buy stock in that small company. Or maybe that big company is about to do something interesting. So steganography would be a set of tools and techniques to hide that information flow so that it isn't observable. And, that, and, and it's been used in both government spaces as well as uh, commercial spaces. The research I did early in it was try to make it something practical so that it was easier to implement and easier to scale. And I have a couple patents in it about how to sort of deploy steganography at scale. It was a really interesting sort of side area of security, um, not large practical applications, but a lot of fun to work on. Oh, I bet. And who knows, maybe there's a former president who hired a ton of steganographers to hide communications and data flow from uh, one person to the other. But anyway, so Steve, you have a fantastic background and career. As you mentioned, you've been with Intel for a number of years. You're working with the federal government. There's all sorts of you know, technology-based challenges and activities going on. But, you know, based on your experience and the people that you've worked with, you know, what words or phrases come to mind when you think about bravery at work? I think it really comes down to three, three phases and, um, that really epitomize bravery in the workplace. Uh, number one is challenging conventional wisdom. Um, and that it goes hand in hand with the second one, but really it's about understanding what's going on and being able to be ahead of that curve. That's really how you can stay innovative, how you can do intrapreneurship as well as entrepreneurship. Um, and that goes along with the second one, which is risk-taking. Um, I think we've seen that organizations that don't in, uh, aspire to and enable their employees to take risks uh, often get stagnant. And at the same time, you need to build that culture. You need to have people who are willing to take those risks and to push the envelope, to, you know, to break things. Um, and oftentimes it's uncomfortable to do that. Um, it's uncomfortable to challenge conventional wisdom because all the market data could be telling you to go a certain way. And that's where the revenue is today. But it's those unconventional approaches that get you to the revenue or the opportunities of the, and the new markets of tomorrow. And the last one is one that's absolutely important. It's being able to speak truth to power. 
Because when you are challenging conventional wisdom and you're taking risks, oftentimes you're butting up against what the current strategy is and what the current executive and leadership chain are trying to accomplish today um, or what they think is the right plan. And so being able to um, confidently speak truth to power and know that you will, you know, you're taking a risk there and hopefully you're in an environment that encourages that um, and that supports that, even if you don't always win or if you don't always convince them, um, it's important for that for you to be able to do that. And ultimately, in the end, I have found that when you do speak truth to power, you're respected for it. Even if they don't agree with you, um, you get the opportunity to come back and convince them a second time. Right. You know, I love those three definitions, Steve, challenging conventional wisdom, risk taking and speaking truth to power. I want to pick each one of those apart just for a moment, because all of those are things that I think people experience in the workplace. And oftentimes we create objectives, uh, objections to moving forward, which uh, weren't there, but we put there. And certainly, you know, challenging conventional wisdom, that sounds a little bit like zero trust, right? So how do I challenge something that we have been doing or that everyone thinks is the right way to do it that upon reflection may not be the best way to do it, right? And I think you're right. You have to work in an, in an environment that encourages people to challenge conventional wisdom and recognizes them for it, even if it doesn't make its way any further, right? That it gets denied or people say, no, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. Uh, they still get recognized for that and in some ways even rewarded. So uh, is that what you're thinking about when you think about uh, challenging conventional wisdom? Well, absolutely. And I think you hit it on the head. Um, and it goes along the same lines of the risk taking as well. Having organizations reward and uh, enable people to take those risks and to challenge conventional wisdom, even if the company doesn't change direction or adopt that, uh, that approach, by enabling people to think outside the box and to act on it, um, you're encouraging innovation. And so not every innovation is the right one to do at that time. And sometimes it could be the right one and the company just decides we're not going to do it. But if you reward people for doing that, they will continue to do it. And that means you're going to foster an environment where ultimately the company will benefit because enough people thinking differently and pushing that envelope and, and being able to challenge the assumptions because assumptions will change. And I think, as you mentioned, zero trust is a great example. Those are the, the current security model is based on a lot of old assumptions that seem to work and they, you know, they, they work and they, they're tried and true. But unless we allow you to challenge those conventional things, we're going to stay in the same place where we're constantly getting attacked. Our new uh, malware uh, techniques are going to continue to be successful. So I think what we find, what I found is that an environment that encourages it ultimately is going to adopt it. You may not adopt it the first time. You may not listen to everyone. But if you encourage it and you reward it, then that breeds a culture that will drive the, uh, the nimble and dynamic capabilities to go adapt to the changing world that we all live in. Absolutely. And, you know, your second observation about risk taking, I love this particular area because like bravery, I don't think we talk about it enough at work. I don't think we uh, recognize people enough for it at work. I don't think we encourage it enough at work. You know, I've always felt risk taking was a little bit like a roller coaster ride. You know, you got to kind of hop on and it, we may or may not know where it's going to go exactly. But if we can do it right, I think upon reflection, we'll be thrilled we did it. Uh, there may be times where it might not work exactly right. I'm not talking about uneducated or irresponsible risk, but you know, if in fact there's something we need to do or an investment we need to make uh, that may feel risky, uh, that's how we grow, that's how we develop, and that's how we learn. And you know, uh, I think there's always been an important question that people should ask when we talk about risk, which is not just why should we do it, but what are the risks of not doing it? 
right? Because sometimes the risks of not doing it may be more significant. And people might say, oh, gosh, we have to do it, right? Because if we don't do it, you know, the risks are even greater. Have you experienced that or have seen that in your career? Oh, absolutely. And I think both both in my startup days where your your whole existence is a risk um, uh, because you're trying something new and trying to, to succeed in a co- crowded market oftentimes. But even inside organiza- uh, large organizations like Intel, uh, being able to take risks. And I think one of the things for me, I often have learned more from my failures of risk taking than from my successes. I, I, I learned lots from my successes. But when you learn from your failures, you learn, oh, that's not the right way to do it. And if you're taking risks and encouraged to do so, then you can pick up and go try something new. Um, and whether it be that you have to try things multiple times in order to get to the right answer, or just the learning of what it takes to try and fail itself inc- uh, indoctrinates an organization of how to be innovative. Um, and I think a lot of people talk about, oh, the entrepreneurship, that's only on the outside with startups. And what we're seeing is inside large organizations, they really want to see that intrapreneurship which is really about how do you do risk-taking in a large organization? A lot of it is about creating the environment, or I like to call the air cover, for the risk-takers to be successful. And I think one of the challenges we've had, uh, and I've been working with fellow government on this concept, is that rewarding failure. Um, Because with risk comes failure, and honestly, more often than not, it's failure. But it's the failing forward, which is the new buzzword that, that people talk about, of how do you fail forward? so that you're better suited or you're learning to be able to do better. And we see a lot of the technologies and a lot of the innovations don't just happen from one spark of an idea, but it's an iterative process of trial and error, trial and error to get to the, you know, to the iPhone or to whatever the innovation that we just take for granted today. Yeah, and I do think a large part of it is cultural, right? Because we can remember the days of you know IBM, where you probably weren't ever allowed to make a mistake, and any mistake that you made, you hid or you danced around, etc. And you know, I recall reading uh, just recently, uh, going online and looking at a marketer's website, and he's a self-employed individual. And the first sentence of his bio is, "I have started 19 companies, and 17 of them have failed." Right. And that's his lead in. Right. That's not something he's hiding or embarrassed about. But, you know, culturally, we're moving to a place where, as you described, it's more iterative to recognize failure because we need to move quicker, faster, more interestingly. And we can't do that if we don't take a lot of risk. Your last point, Steve, is probably the one that I think would impact most people most often, which is speaking truth to power, right? That I need to talk to the president of the company or I need to talk to my boss about something I think they are doing or ways that they're behaving that I don't think they recognize and I want to help them. And however, you know, if I cross the wrong line or say the wrong thing, you know, it might be career over. And so I don't do it, right? And I'm afraid to say something that I think somebody needs to hear. And you know, I just would love as we're closing, if you could comment a little bit about uh, maybe an idea or a suggestion you have for how somebody could speak truth to power. So I think you hit on a couple of key issues there. You know, people are uh, um, worried about the risk when it comes to speaking truth to power. What I found in my experience is that um, it is it is risky, it's sometimes scary, but the key is come prepared. So come with facts and data to support your position even if you don't have large scale facts, especially in innovative environments, it's not like you have you know, a million different data points, but have key market indicators that sort of say, here's where I think we're not on the right path. Or if we were to invest here, this would be a new market opportunity. Back your position up with data. 
because if you only go in with an opinion, then you're just your opinion versus what they, they already think is the right approach. So I think number one is when you do speak truth about come prepared with examples, come prepared with data. The other thing I've found that often works uh, best is come and be able to talk in a language they understand. Oftentimes, especially in the technology field, a technologist will come to a business executive and say, I have got the best solution for this esoteric problem that that executive has no idea what they're talking about. I'm not saying dumb it down, but provide an example that they can relate to. And one of my favorite examples is I was uh, doing some innovation in a web security space, um, uh, looking at trying to you know, protect people on their browser from certain kinds of attacks coming from the web. And I'm talking in an organization the size of Intel where most people have a chip-based background. And so application security, that's the fluffy stuff that runs way up in the cloud. But one of the ways that I, I was able to help that executive understand is I created a demo that looked like a bank account that he would go to you know, at his home and showed him what happens when an attack happens and how an attacker can take their credential and log in and move money. So I created a whole demo just to show them what the problem was, but it, instantly he was able to relate to the problem, even though it wasn't his area and wasn't it wasn't the focus and what it wasn't something he, he dealt with on a day-to-day -day basis from a technology perspective i made it relatable and so when you do speak truth to power make sure you're talking in a language they can understand or making it relatable and back yourself up with data and those things are really the 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 the, the, the means by which you can successfully speak truth to power because even if they don't listen to you they will respect you for bringing them a view that they had not heard before and backing it up with data and also being able to talk to them in a way that they can then understand what you're trying to say and not talk down to them. And I think that is something that will ultimately win you the respect of that, uh, of that executive or that boss. And more importantly, they'll come back to you the next time they want to hear something interesting or something different because they know that you do it the right way. Yeah, look, I love that idea of you know creating i think the technical word might be a simile which is uh you might not understand exactly what i'm saying so let me give it to you in a way that you would right because like oh my god yes i fully understand what you're saying right now and yet you also mentioned the word earlier i just want to touch on quickly which is you know i believe bravery always has to be scary because if it's not scary it's not brave right so i'm not saying it's intentionally scary or it has to be scary it might be something that's not scary but it's okay for it to be scary. A lot of people have described bravery as this tied up, gnarly, tight, you know, area that you need to get into in order to make great progress. So don't let the fact that it's scary preclude you from moving forward. Keep moving forward, recognizing that, hey, this is just how I'm feeling and this is how important it is, but I know I need to say or do something in a way that's going to be helpful for others. So Steve, I have loved chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your insights and observations. What are the best ways that people can reach you if they'd like to talk to you a little bit more about what you do or about your experiences with bravery at work? Well, thank you. And, and the best way for people to reach me is through my LinkedIn profile, which is uh, S-O-R-R-I-N or Soren um, on LinkedIn. That is the best way. And just feel free to uh, reach out to me and, and ask for a connection. I'm happy to connect with people uh, and help them out. Fantastic. Well, again, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. We hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, 
Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. You have something to say, yet are not saying it? You have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.